Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. My guest on this week's edition of the Blind Broadcaster Podcast is the longtime voice of the Tennessee Titans since 1999. But he's been with the Titans or this franchise for 23, about to be year 24. One of them is a scoreboard host. The other, as Joe McConnell's cuddler analyst in 1998, <coughs> has been the voice of the Titans since 1999, as I mentioned. And is about to begin his 23rd season. And his third with Titans color analyst and former linebackers coach, Dave McGinnis. We get into all that on this interview. If you like this interview on the Blind Broadcaster Podcast, please rate, subscribe, and review the Blind Broadcaster Podcast on your favorite podcast directory and platform of choice. If you have suggestions for guests or ideas on how to improve the pod, you can email me at luther.king.tsb at gmail.com. Find me on Twitter at King underscore TSB. And if you want to try to find me on Facebook, use the email address I mentioned at the top of this intro. Enjoy the interview with the voice of the Tennessee Titans and UT grad, Mike Keith. This is the Blind Broadcaster Podcast, a Believe Podcast Network production. Episode 17 of this venture, no, excuse me, not seven. yeah, 60, my bad, I'll get it right in a minute, but joined by the voice of the Titans, who was on another podcast, play-by-play cast with Joel Gadet a while back, and got a lot to get into with Mike Keith. And Mike, how did you get your start? And were there any opportunities in high school for broadcast purposes? I started in 1984, Luther, working at uh, the cable access station in my hometown of Franklin, WAGG. And uh, there weren't many opportunities at that time. There are actually more opportunities today with all the things that you can do uh, via the internet. But uh Today, you know, today there's so many more chances and so many more streams. Back then, there there certainly weren't very many. So, what all were you doing at the cable access network? I called local high school basketball games and uh, did a talk show. I did little league football bowl games. Uh, I mean, you name it, whatever opportunity was there, I, I went and took a camera and set up a microphone and uh, tried to tried to make something happen out of it. And it gave me a chance uh, that when I got to the University of Tennessee, I fortunately already had a little bit of experience. And so that gave me the chance to jump right in at the student radio station when I got to Knoxville. And what are you doing at the student campus station in Knoxville? You know, we did sports casts. Uh, that was the big thing because it was a music station. Every time we interrupted the music to do a sports report, people called and complained. So uh, there weren't lots, lots of options to do play-by-play, and those options didn't come until later for the most part in Knoxville. But, you know, working at the campus radio station was, um, was a fantastic thing. WUTK is regarded as one of the best student radio stations in America, and I'm, I'm lucky I had a chance to be there. And that led to working with the legend who's no longer with us, John Ward. Yeah, John Ward, uh, my mentor, uh, the guy who gave me the majority of the chances in my career, who uh, pushed for me to, to get more chances, uh, University of Tennessee baseball and 
things like that. With him, every year he seemed to give me more responsibility on radio and television. Um, he was uh, really a, a marvelous mentor overall and great to learn from because I think he's one of the great play-by-play -play announcers of all time. Agreed. And you don't have many of them left, sadly. We don't have many left like him. Uh, no. Certainly his uh, range of talent was something incredibly special. He could, he could make anything interesting. He was a great writer, uh, wonderful use of the language overall. Just, a, just an incredibly talented man who was generous with the fans, generous with his time, generous with other broadcasters. Uh, what a blessing it was to, to have a chance to, to be near and around John Ward. What were the biggest things and biggest takeaways when you were working with John Ward do you still keep to this very day that you his, still use? His incredible preparation. You know, John, John was prepared for everything he did day in, day out. Uh, he showed up ready to go but there were hours of preparation that had been put into everything. If he was doing a coach's TV show, if he was doing a game broadcast, if he was doing a speech, <clears throat> if he was making a presentation to a client, there was always just an incredible amount of preparation that he had put forth. And um, I, I think that was something really special for John, something that, that John did better than anybody. And, and, so to this day, uh, I try to put in a similar level of preparation in everything that I do, um, knowing that if you're prepared, it helps you not to be so nervous, uh, helps you to feel good about, you know, about everything that you're doing and uh, something, something really special for me, no doubt. And, and John, you know, John really, really helped me in the biggest way possible to make that happen. And then went to college for four years. And one of my previous guests, I was on this podcast, you work with the voice of the University of Tulsa, Bruce Howard, and the Nacho Blue Jays were in yeah, town. Bruce Howard, I worked with even before John Ward. And Bruce Howard did an amazing job of giving me opportunities to call baseball and to be around the business and to fill in for him doing sports and uh, you know, Bruce is a, is a really underrated broadcaster who I think has a, uh, you know, has a tremendous amount of talent, has a style all his own taught me a lot about sort of a calmness in what he does and an even keel nature in what he does. Uh, really lucky to have had a chance to be around Bruce Howard for sure. And he told me that he knew that you had something when you were working with him. Wow. Now that's I'm glad he knew. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, he, he's, he's being very generous. I, I learned a lot from him. And um, he, he was not threatened by somebody who wanted to get in the business. Uh, instead, he was very giving of his time and his talents, very generous, um, very helpful to me personally, uh, just really, really a special guy, uh, a special human being and somebody that I've always valued and, again, was so lucky to be around. One of the things as preparation with Bruce Howard and John Ward, do you feel like you learned that you still use from – both of those gentlemen today? I think just professionalism. There's a way to do this job and there's a way to do this job properly. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, that to me is what you learn from somebody who is really good at the craft. So to me, it's just overall professionalism. And you leave Tennessee. Where did your journey take you next after you left college? Here. Uh, I, you know, I was in Knoxville for 12 years total and got a lot of experience, a lot of opportunities with the Vol Network, with WUTK, with WIVK Radio, WNOX Radio, WBIR-TV, 
you know, just immense chances to do things and a uh, chance to make a living, chance to work in the business overall. I hosted my own sports talk show every day for nine years. And that was a, you know, that was a great learning experience in and of itself. And uh, then had a chance to come here and, and go to work for the then Tennessee Oilers. And uh, fortunately, I've been with them ever since. And the legendary, who's also no longer with us, who also had his own style, who I also missed from one of the old school broadcasters that you worked with doing color for a season, <laughs> Joe, McConnell. Joe McConnell. Yeah, Joe McConnell, an, an all-time great announcer. An all-time great announcer who um, I just, you know, he, he didn't have to be nice to me, but he chose to be nice to me, and I'm just incredibly thankful for that. Because you're talking about a guy who called the NFL, called the NBA, called Major League Baseball, called Purdue. Uh, what experience, what, um, what knowledge of, of how it all fit together. I mean, Joe McConnell, just one of the best and most underrated play-by-play -play announcers I've ever heard. Why do you think that is? Like the, the guys we just got done talking about, why do you think people – would underrate them because those three that we talked about a Bruce Howard or John Ward or Joe McConnell if they were still around today their knowledge would be huge in this business today oh yeah sure well I I don't think people in Tennessee underrate John Ward because I think they know what he meant to the Vols and to Vol fans. <laughs> I think if people, when people around the country hear him, they go, wow, this guy was really good. Joe, probably because he was so many places. You know, I think that's the thing that hurts Joe's legacy unfairly because he worked so many places. He didn't sort of have that one place where he, he stood out in that way. Uh, but when you take his overall body of work, he blows you away. And then you get a guy like Bruce Howard who gets an opportunity at Tulsa, a, a great university, great city, and decides to stay there. You know, mm -hmm. decide, decides that that's what he wants to do, that he wants to stick around there. And in doing so, becomes part of a community. And that is, um, you know, that's what I hope I've been able to do here is to be able to get here, stay somewhere, raise a family, go to church somewhere, you know, be, be part of a neighborhood. You know, th those are things. Some people don't want to do that. You know, some people want to go to New York or Los Angeles and, you know, have the, the bigger thing. And I understand that. Sure. But then some people want to live in and be part of a community, and that's what Bruce has chosen to do in Tulsa. And basically what you've done ever since – you started. I mean, you were in Knoxville. You you you've basically been a Tennessee kid your whole life, like me. Been a Tennessee guy my whole life. I've lived in in Tennessee for uh, a long, long time. I've never lived anywhere else. And me neither. Uh, and that's um, <laughs> for me. Uh, that's been a great choice. You know, it, different people have different journeys and paths, mm -hmm. and I certainly understand and respect that. But for me, this has been the best thing, and. Uh, the Lord's blessed me with the opportunity to stay in the place that I love and to do what I love. And I don't see how you can be any more fortunate. How big has faith been a part of your life? So it's a huge part of it because I think as I've gotten older, I've seen that grow <laughs> dramatically because I've seen things happen to put me in places that it would only be uh, if the hand of, of God was guiding, sure. there, there's no other way to explain it. Mm -hmm. And so as my life has gone on and as things have fallen different ways, and I'm not just talking about career, I'm talking about life, um, mm -hmm. you know, to be certain places at certain times to, to meet my wife, to be able to live here, to have the opportunities that I've had career wise to have the friendships, to be in tough situations, and yet have certain people come in your life that make a difference. 
the only way that I have to explain it is that it's part of a, a plan that I don't have anything to do with. And that, and that's, and that's what, that is what has led me the way that it has. I've been phenomenally blessed. Even the things that would have been considered bad things have been things that have taught me lessons that have girded my faith in that way. So, you know, that would be, you know, that would be why I believe what I believe and have the faith that I do because I've seen, I've seen these things work in my own life and, and realize that I've had very little to do with them. Agreed. And you said you were able to meet your lovely bride. Was that a college connection or was that just by happenstance or chance? Yeah, I mean, really by happenstance. I mean, she's from just outside of Chicago, (laughs) but chose to attend the University of Tennessee when something didn't work out at Purdue. And she chose to come and, and go to the University of Tennessee because her family's originally from Knoxville and her grandmother was in Knoxville. And oh, wow. that was the reason I chose to attend the University of Tennessee because my family's from Knoxville and my grandmother was in Knoxville. And um, so it was a family it, affair type of deal. It turned out to be a, a great decision. <laughs> and I will have been 30, married 30 years this July. How about that? 30 yeah. years. And how tough was it at the beginning with you and your lovely bride, you know, with the jobs you were doing, the things that broadcast wise, you were trying to figure out how you were going to be able to do this and that and support, you know, you and her, and then think about starting a family and everything else. Anybody Anybody who's going to work in broadcasting, particularly sports broadcasting, has to come to a realization that sports happens at night and on weekends Mm -hmm. and you travel a lot and you're going to have to find an incredibly special person. If you're going to have a normal family life, unfortunately I would say the divorce rate in broadcasting is probably much higher than the national average. Mm -hmm. And that's really unfortunate (laughs) because you need that person in your life to provide stability. But the other part of it uh, that is is so key is that that person has to have an understanding that most people will not have. And fortunately for me, my wife had that understanding and she she understood that this was not gonna be easy. And a, a lot of the tough things that have happened in our life, um, you know, the the roof leaking or the, the the closet collapsing or, you know, just stuff that normally the heater going out or whatever, the washing machine dying. Those Mm. things have happened when I've been on the road and she has had to handle them without me. She's had to do things with the kids without me. And, um, you know, it took a, it took a very special person to make that happen. Undoubtedly. So when did you take, like, as the color guy, what all were you doing and how much are you still doing today now that you've been the lead voice for what, now, 14, something like, I'm that 20 some odd years now, I guess? 22 years, yeah. Something like that, because I, I knew it was like late 90s when you took over as the lead, but I wasn't sure, like. Well, I came but, to work with the team under the premise that I would do a lot of things in the community, right. would be involved with uh, not only civic clubs and speaking engagements, but also our caravan and uh, hosting radio shows and working with our flagship station. All of these things all went together in the job. Right. And that was a, you know, that was a big part of what my job was really all about was was trying to sort of bridge the gap in the community that the team had when it first moved here. And, and not just me, but just to be part of that effort. Mm-hmm. And that continues. You know, I still speak uh, a great deal. I still work with 104.5 The Zone, who is our radio partner. I still work with other Titans radio partners outside the market. 
Um, I, I still do a, a number of things with schools, whether it be, you know, middle schools or high schools or colleges. I still work with the TSSAA on a variety of things. Mm-hmm. So calling games is only a part of what I did. And that didn't change when my role on the broadcast changed. And it, it, you know, none of that, none of that changed. At, at that point, they started calling me voice of the Titans. <laughs> but the but the remainder of my job was the same. And when you took over as a league guy, you had what, Pat Ryan, Cody Allison, Larry Stone. Do you a great I mean, team? Did you a know great... all the? Did you know all those people at the yeah. time, or how did yeah. all those guys come on Pat, board with the network? Pat and I'd worked together in Knoxville, and. Of course, he had played for the Jets, and and Coach Fisher really encouraged us to hire a color commentator who had NFL experience because the NFL was new to this region, and Pat was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Cody Allison had started as an intern with me in 1992 and had stayed a friend and had gotten his law degree and had moved to Nashville to start his law practice. And, um, you know, he did just a phenomenal job uh, with with our radio network. I mean, he was, you know, just instrumental in sidelines and interviews and, and building relationships. And then Larry Stone's the most talented person I've ever known in broadcasting. He is <laughs> he is the best broadcaster I've ever been around. Renaissance man. <laughs> well, he can do it all. I mean, he owns radio stations in Cookville now, but I mean, you're, you're talking about a guy who can really, really do it all in broadcasting. And uh, he built the basis of Titans Radio and um, also gave me the opportunity to, um, to be successful as the lead announcer. You know, you walk into certain jobs mm-hmm. in whatever you do and you have a chance to be successful or you don't. Um, Sink or swim. Well, I mean, you, some places you can do great work, but, you know, you may not ever succeed. Sure. Um, bottom line is that this is a guy who made it to where I could be successful. The biggest reason that I'm successful in the business as the, the Titans announcer, and what I mean by success is I've stayed in the job. Not that I'm any good at it, but I've stayed in the job. The reason that I still have this job is because of the network and the group of people that he put together. And and that's why I owe Larry Stone the greatest debt of thanks of anybody. And then when Pat leaves, you get Frank, you slide him, you steal him away from TV. And then your sideline people, your sideline person changes after a while, I think. Because Cody, I think, went what stuck with his law practice and you had to go find another sideline reporter. Yeah, we, you know, we were in a position that um, Jonathan Hutton was ready to do more. He had worked with us since he was an intern. Mm -hmm. Uh, Frank came in and and did the color because he was involved with 104.5 The Zone. And um, Frank did an outstanding job when, when we were ready to give Jonathan more of a role on the broadcast, Rhett Bryan was kind enough to kind of move into a different spot and become the co-game day host. And then uh, we made Amy Wells the sideline reporter. And she's been doing that for now three years and she does an outstanding job. Was she an intern with you as well? No, Amy actually had started as our digital reporter, our titansonline.com reporter. And she had worked her way up. You know, that's the thing is if you, Brad Willis did that. Jonathan Hutton did that. Cody mm-hmm. Allison did that. Amy Wells did that. Yep. Um, I, I mean, our our group of people has developed, and, and for the most part, Larry has put that track together. And, and like Larry didn't really have anything to do with Amy Wells, right? Yet Larry's sort of method of developing people is what led Amy to this role that she's in now. So even though Amy never worked directly with Larry, she's tied into all this based on what he started in 1997. 
Now, I think <clears throat> you had the year that the Titans went to the Super Bowl. And I think you said that experience was not a good one in that year when we all went to Atlanta that year. Well, the experience of the week was tough. It was a great experience. Don't get me wrong. I mean, let's yeah. let's start off there. Okay. The experience of the week was difficult because I started the week sick. Mm. And then Larry Stone got very sick. And I'm talking about like in the bed, can't get out of bed, sick. Oh, when we went to Jacksonville, I was so sick I couldn't leave the hotel room for two days. Called the game having not eaten any food. And then – we get back after winning the AFC championship, and I'm still weak. Oh, then we get to Atlanta. There's no week off in between the two. We get to Atlanta the next night, and by Tuesday night, a day later, Larry Stone is sick, and he can't get out of bed till Saturday. And so we're having to run around and do all this work preparing, and we, I mean, we were under the weather. Um so I want to go back and do a Super Bowl where we have a week off in between and nobody gets sick. That's well, what I the, the good news is you now have the Pro Bowl in between that, so you can do That's all the right. game prep you want. That's right. <laughs> and Absolutely. the NFL was at least smart to at least put the Pro Bowl the week before the Super Bowl. That's right. 100% correct. You are, you are right, Luther. Good point. <clears throat> now, I do want to know this. When did you guys have – Pat Ryan, Doug Matthews, and Larry Stone, when you had, like, the coach, when did all that come about? Because you had him do keys to the game and Titans countdown. Then you would have him with Larry break down the play a little bit better to add more color to what Pat had already talked about coming yeah, out of Doug, a break. Doug Matthews did a whale of a job for us in, in that role early on. And uh, – you know, we, we would have him on at halftime. We'd have him on post game. Uh, and, and he, Coach Matthews is, I learned so much football watching Doug Matthews coach at the University of Tennessee when I was a student reporter. And so having Coach Matthews involved gave us not only great information, but great credibility. And it's funny because the same thing happens now with Dave McGinnis. Oh, yeah. You learn so much football from that guy, and it is, it's really exciting to have him involved. I always wondered, what is it like rotating with, what, three different analysts from Pat to Frank to who you yeah. have now, and then you had Doug from time to time slide in when you had Pat – how was it working with all those folks and, you know, making it all work? Well, what it comes down to is you have to, if you're the play-by-play -play announcer, you have to vary to their strengths. Like Pat and I had already worked together for years on radio and television in Knoxville. Yep. Pat was a strong presence from the moment go. And so my job was to shut up and let Pat talk, to set Pat up and then let Pat go. Frank came in and Frank did not have as much broadcast experience. And so my job was to talk more to help Frank get into a flow. Mm -hmm. And then as Frank came along, as he, as he developed over a period of time, it was important to let him talk more sure. and you, and you didn't have to set him up as much. Coach Mack came in, had never done radio of any sort and is the most natural radio person I've ever been around. And I just get out of his way. I, I think you're going to find every year that I'm on with Dave McGinnis, I talk less and he talks more because people want to hear what he has to say. It's different styles with different people. And in Frank's case, it's different styles with different people at different points of their career. Mm -hmm. Like I said, when Frank started, he didn't talk very much. Sure, I had to pull it out of him. By the end, Frank talked a lot, and so you didn't have to do that as much. And so for the play-by-play -play announcer, your job is to vary your style. And the one thing I like with Coach Mack is he already knows what the formation is, and he basically breaks down what the formation is and how it's supposed to work. Well, a lot that's of times – That's what I like about his analysis because he always gives you 
what the play is going to, you know, what the formation is and how that formation is supposed to work. Well, a lot of times he calls the play Luther based on the formation he sees. Wow. You know, I mean, what we have in him, and, and here's what we stopped and said after his first year, because we go, you know, he's really good. Yeah. <laughs> he's really good. So, <laughs> he's so what he's we, phenomenal. So what we stopped and said is we said, we have the only former head coach on a local radio broadcast in the NFL. So let's give it all to him. Let's give the whole thing up to him. And you just let him take it because that's what the public wants. The public wants to hear Coach Mack. So if the public wants to hear Coach Mack, I'm going to talk less and Coach Mack's going to talk more. I don't care. You know, it's the same theory that CBS is going with, with Jim Nance Mm -hmm. letting Tony Romo talk more. Sure. And Jim Nance is so fantastic at what he does and is so professional to say, you know what? The public is into Tony Romo. I'm going to let Tony Romo talk even more. Give the people what they want. Give the people what they want. It's not about what I want. It's not about what Titans radio wants. It's about what the fans want, and the fans want to hear Coach Mack, so let's do more with Coach Mack. What was the time when you went to Philadelphia and you were kind of sick that time too, and you, they had T.O. and Donovan McNabb and all that circus when you guys went to the link and played them down there? That Because yeah. it sounded like you were kind of roughing it that week too. Yeah, I mean, there have been, certainly been moments where, you know, you – you have to fight through illness and mm-hmm. you Tell hope it's, it. you hope it's not your voice. Um, because the, the rest of it is just a theater of the mind. Um, sometimes you, you have a cold or you have, you know, something even more serious and you just, you've just got to find a way to fight through it. Uh, that's, that's happened numerous times over 437 games. It's, it's life. Yep. When did you guys get the Nashville Cats? Because I know you guys did some Cats games and you had, I think that's where, what, Frank started, I think, doing some Cats, I think a Cats game or two? So 2005 is where we started the Cats. Mm-hmm. We did the Cats 2005 through 2007, and it was it was really a great experience for me. It's one of the best experiences in my broadcast career. How so? Because uh, doing arena football is quite different. Mm-hmm. And learning how to prepare for it, learning how to um, sort of craft what you were going to say. It's very different from a scheme standpoint of regular outdoor football. And each play is like a possession. It's more like basketball than it is football Mm -hmm. because the field is shorter and how the game set up is, is quite different. And the way the ball bounces off the net. The whole thing. The whole thing <laughs> is is totally different. You don't call it the same way you call a, a regular football game. And um, we learned to do it. It was a great experience. It's like why I still do high school sports and why I still do a lot of baseball if I can. And you're, I mean, you're always trying to learn. I mean, I, I show up to do those high school games And I know because of the volume of information that's available, there's no way I'm going to be as prepared there. And, and you, so you're going to fly without a net. You're taking a risk that you may have disasters and I have, but if you don't work at it, you don't get better. And what I find is that it makes me better for Titans radio to, to be able to have the chance to do other things. And I was really looking forward to doing the state this year, but unfortunately I really didn't have any extra help. So I just couldn't do it. That one game we had, we were, had done the making County game. Otherwise I would have done it, but. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great overall experience. I love doing it. Like, would you do the high school games and, you know, you still have to do the, you know, game prep and everything else, but do you feel more like you're at home when you're doing high school compared to doing, I don't know, the college games that you've done, the, you know, 
NFL professional game is a lot different and access well, is it. a lot different and so on and so forth. I love it. I mean, I love it more than than I can even begin to describe how much I like being around the, the high school games. And mm-hmm. I just like going to high school games. I, I mean, I, I, I love to attend, you know, just simple high school football or basketball or baseball or girls basketball or softball or track. I mean, I, I just like it. I, it, it's, it, it's something we could all participate in and, and it's, you know, I played and I've been a parent and I, I mean, it's just, it's the best thing in the world. And to see those moments where those young people achieve something that they will be able to take with them for their entire life to me is the most special thing of all time. That's huge because, I mean, I'm doing high school now, about to be, well, I've done for what, three years? I mean, I've done a whole a few high schools for a little bit of time and just seeing the kids grow up from freshmen to seniors. And then once they leave, another crop comes in and same process. And it's yes. just awesome because you see, you see them grow up. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. It really is. And you don't know how they're going to turn out, but you just like the fact that you like seeing, you know, the process of that young kid and just seeing things just come alive for them. That yeah. Didn't at first. Yeah. And it's a, it, you know, it's a, it's a thing that's a journey. I mean, I know from my own perspective, I was yesterday, as a matter of fact, I was right by where I used to play ball as a young person. And I was thinking about some of those memories and how things turn out. And the thing that, that jumps out to me about it is how big an impact that had on how your life moves forward. Sure. And in the, in most cases, the positive, but my, my dad put me in athletics early in life because he claimed that you learn more lessons from athletics than you learn in anything else that you do and that you use those lessons every day for the rest of your life. And Luther, that's a hundred percent true. Agreed. Even though I didn't even take a snap or football, play any basketball, just listening and <clears throat> just enjoying the fact that, you know, for the seniors, it's going to be their last time being on that floor for a junior. They have one more chance at it or for, a, you know, a JV kid that you're watching their team, you, the future of who you're going to be calling in the next year or two or three, mm-hmm. depending on what's left. I mean, it's a multi-pronged because you – watch them grow up that's right and then those kids that are going to be leaving they're leaving for the juniors who are going to be seniors to pass it down to the you know the freshmen who were freshmen last year going to be sophomores and they then the kids that were on the jv come on as freshmen and they have to learn from the sophomores yes i mean it all it all goes hand in hand at the high school level same thing at the college level but I don't know if you really see it more than you do at the high school level. The high school level's where it all is and always will be. And that's, and that's what makes TWSWA sports so important. So for you, <clears throat> what's your game prep like for an event like the draft and tomorrow we're going to see it for the first <laughs> time virtually. And what's it, what's like, the process of trying to not actually do a game per se, but put together how you're going to do shows, how you're going to put all that together for the entire network and everything like that as you head into the, another draft. I've been working on it for two months and I'm sitting here right now uh, when we finish this call, I'll go back to writing scripts and writing bios and uh, reading things and making notes. And uh, I mean, we're going to be on the radio for 10 hours 
over Thursday and Friday night of the draft. And in order to be ready for 10 hours, I've got to have pages and pages and pages of things ready. The, other, the thing that you're also trying to do too is you're trying to prepare things in a way that when the draft is over and the players have been allocated, you can take the notes that you prepared for the draft and plug them in to the respective teams so that you don't have to go back and do that later. So for example, the players that the Indianapolis Colts draft, if I write the bios the right way leading up to the draft, then I can just plug those bios into my Colts notes for 2020 and beyond. Mm -hmm. And so if you do that work as carefully and thoroughly, and you don't know how to do it at first, you, it takes years to figure out your own system. But if you try to do that the right way, and you do it the right way, then you save yourself time down the line. Um, so everything, and, and that's how all of my prep goes throughout the course of the year is I'm constantly preparing. So when we get to the week of the Colts game, mm -hmm. hopefully I have a lot of that work already done. And all I have to do is update my notes based on the games that the Colts have already played in the season. So if we get them in week four, then all I've got to do is take the first three weeks and update. It. That's the goal. <clears throat> so basically preparation, even from the NFL season for you, never stops, never stops. It never stops. It's the, you know, but it, it, I mean, it, let's face it though. It's fun. Of course it was, it's fun. What I'm doing is fun. It's not hard. This is not hard work. Now, you, you, you have to be organized and you have to be willing to sit down and do it. And, and sometimes, you know, typing 10,000 words of anything is not a great time, <laughs> but, but the fact of the matter is if you do it, then it makes the, because how I want my weeks to go is when, when we're playing the Colts in week four, I don't want to spend the whole week on the Colts. I want to spend the majority of the week on the Titans because my job is to know the Titans. Mm -hmm. I want to have a working knowledge of the Colts. I want to know everything about the Titans. So how do you balance, how do you balance all that out when you, you're working with the Titans, but you have, but you have to know, like say if it's a team you haven't seen in, years like how well, do you that, go back and yeah that's where it's hard but but i'm constant like i i'm updating the seattle seahawks right now well we i mean we don't play the seahawks again for two or next year we play them again next year we wow. haven't seen them in three years okay but but i never stop working and that's the beauty of working the nfl is it's only 31 other teams if you're doing college um that's a big deal and now that we know that you're going to get a 17th game, and plus now that the number two seed will no longer get the buy like the number one seed, how do you think the you know the mindset of teams trying to fight for those last few playoff spots now that they have an extra spot that they know they're going to play? How do you think the mindset of the teams that are in the league and everybody else? you think will change now that the, you know, agreed proposal and everything else, adding a 17th game, which adds one extra game to your broadcast plate. So instead of 20 games, you get 21. That's fine. I broadcast 400 games. I would broadcast the game every day of the week. <laughs> I, I, I tell everybody that they pay me for Monday through Saturday. Sunday is free. I, I mean, it, my salary is about Monday through Saturday. Right. Doing the games. That's nothing. The pleasure. It's the greatest pleasure in the world. It's the greatest honor in the world. I, you know, let's play 400 games. I don't care. I, from my standpoint, and I don't want that from the players and for safety, you know, I, I, I get that. But I'm saying just from a broadcast standpoint, I would broadcast something every single day. It's the happiest place in the world for me is when we're getting to broadcast. And you get the best seat in the house and you get, the you get paid for it. Yeah, and they pay me. It's crazy. I'm the luckiest man in the world. 
do you ever pinch yourself and think, my God, how did A, I get here, and B, how have I lasted so long? Yeah, sure. Which is why I appreciate every day. Mm -hmm. Some people, I don't think, appreciate things enough. I, I appreciate every single day. And I'm, I'm incredibly fortunate. I know I'm incredibly fortunate. Um, I don't, I don't always understand why this happened to me, which is why I take faith so seriously and, and try to try to live in a way that shows my appreciation for my good fortune, because that's all it is, is good fortune. I am the, you know, I, I am the guy who just walked into something and who knew. Do you take preseason the same or as the regular season? Or From a broadcast standpoint, we take it more seriously because okay. it's hard. And it gives us a chance to warm up. I mean, you've got to know 90 guys, which is crazy. <laughs> 90 guys are going to play, which is crazy. Um, but it is the greatest chance in the world as a broadcaster to work on things, to improve things. Um, we do some things with more preparation because mm -hmm. we want to get in a groove. We do some things involved with less preparation. Like I don't work on the names the same way I do in the regular season. Really? Because I, nope. Because I want to have to practice looking down at the spot chart instead of just going from memory. I want to practice all the functionality of how the booth works. Um, I do, you know, so it's as much work, but we do it in a completely different way. And it's most people. What was that? Most people just think it's nuts. They think it's crazy. Okay. Like would go back. Let's go back to what you said. Like you want to know how the booth works. Like mm -hmm. you've been doing, you've been in the booth for almost what? 30 years or longer than that. Overall, if we can't, if we take your college career and everything else you're working on as a play-by-play -play guy. Yeah, I've been in a booth. Counting the time I spent with Ward, uh, this would be year 28. So, 29. What, what are you looking at in Ford to make sure that how you know that the booth works or what things are you looking for because in the booth? Because so you're working with the spotter and you want to make sure that he's hitting the names and that you're looking down at the names because mm -hmm. if you've memorized all the names, you get in a habit of not looking at the sheet when you should. You want to make sure that you have all of the pieces of paper on the wall in the place where they're supposed to be so that you can find various things. You, you want to make sure that the charts that you've built are the right font size, that you're that you're functionally doing a broadcast because once you get into it for a while, particularly when you get into a season, you get in a rhythm and you don't need all of these elements right. as much because you can rely on your own mind, <clears throat> but you don't want to rely on your mind when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. You want to work all of the elements the way that you were taught. You want to get in the habit of forcing yourself to not take things for granted and to work all of the elements. So have there been any new elements that you've added or is it basically the same never thing? You've... Never changes. You know, you, you figure out what works best for your broadcast and then you do it. And for every broadcaster, it's totally different. Coaching wise, who have been your favorite coaches to work with and what lessons do you feel like you've been taught from coaches that you carried into coaches interviews, players interviews and handling an actual broadcast in the particular booth? Well, the bottom line with coaches that you learn and um, in particular, like this coach that I deal with reminds me of it. I, I love Mike Vrabel. I love Mike Vrabel. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike Vrabel is one of my all-time favorite people that I've ever dealt with in sports. I just, he's, he and John Robinson both are, are these great personalities. And I've had a chance to work with a bunch of 
people that I've just really enjoyed. The thing that you reminded with, with coaches, whether you're on the air or off the air in a production meeting, whatever, you have to ask them questions. Right. I, I'm talking about, you have to ask them questions. You don't offer suggestions. You don't offer your opinion. You don't throw out a statement and, and see if they'll react to it. You have to ask them questions. If you ask them questions, you get answers. Mm -hmm. If you throw out opinions or you make just statements, you generally get things back you don't want because they're not interested in your opinion. They're not interested in theories or hypotheticals or, you know, things of that sort. Mm -hmm. what, what, where you connect with coaches and general managers and people that you work with on the football side in broadcasting is if you ask them questions, you must formulate questions. That's the key. When you deal with young people, how do you tell for you when you listen to their stuff? Cause I know you gave an example of, a student that or somebody that sent you their stuff and you liked their stuff, but there was a big thing you really harped on about don't try to emulate another broadcaster. You have to right. basically come up with your own stuff. You've got to be you. What are you looking for when you listen to young students or, you know, or people like myself, what are you listening for with your ears and what are you wanting to hear? Well, that you want to hear accuracy. You want to hear clarity. You want to hear just fundamentals of broadcasting. That's first. But then you also want to hear the person's personality in their voice. And every voice is different. Uh, some are more melodious than others. Some are higher. Some are annoying. Uh, some are in between. But if a person is doing their own broadcast and they're being themselves, as a listener, you connect with that voice. And the if a if a person is putting themselves out there with their own personality in that voice then they are showing themselves to you. They're, they're putting themselves out there in that way that is looking for a legitimate connection for them to tell you the story of whatever they're broadcasting. And when the first thing I hear a lot of times, I hear somebody trying to sound like Jack Buck, or I hear somebody trying to sound like Chris Berman, or I hear somebody trying to sound like Stuart Scott or Joe Buck or all these broadcasters that we've heard over the years who've been memorable, you know, whether yep. they're still with us or they're not, you can pick those people out like that in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And the, the ones I was listening to a guy the other day and he's doing his thing. Yep. And I wrote him back and I said, if you keep doing that, you'll make it because people will connect with that. Sure. My, my voice is very average in terms of radio voices, very average. But I have to, I have to work at it all the time, but, but my voice is me. Mm -hmm. It's all I got. I can't change it. I can't vary it. I can't because, because this is who I am. And so if people listen to what I do, they connect with me and I have to do my best to provide that connection. If I can do that, I'm successful. Even if I don't sound as good as Jim Nance, which I don't, even if I don't sound as good as, John Wilkerson doing University of Tennessee baseball. Uh, Did he replace he, you? Oh yeah, he. John and I. John was my roommate when I was in college. We go no back way. over years. So yeah, we've been together for a long time. <laughs> Bottom so, line, you got to be you. If you don't, you're a fraud. 
And if you're a fraud, people are going to figure that out and you're not going to make it. But it's hard because when you try to be you, some people are going to like it. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Some people aren't. Exactly. And the ones who don't like you are going to be louder than the ones who do. And so you're going to have to live with that sort of criticism. And it's part of it. And you're going to have to accept that certain people are going to criticize you for certain things. And you're going to have to say, you know what, that's okay. Because some people like chocolate ice cream and some people like strawberry and some people like Rocky Road. And some like basic, basic plain Jane vanilla. Well, but the, but the bottom line is broadcasters are like that. Yep. They come in all shapes and sizes and and the bottom line is no no two are the same and that's the way it's supposed to be and some people like it and some people don't and that is their prerogative to like it or not like it but if you're doing the best you can at being you with what you got with what you got then you went over more people that way when did you feel like you found your voice or found your sound? It took years. Not until I was several years into this job. And, um, I mean, you're continuing to hone things. You're oh, continuing sure. to say, well, this was good, this was not good, you know, and, and so on and so forth. And you find different ways to say things better and you learn different things and you know, I mean, there, there are ways to improve, but at the same time, the basic who you are is who you are. I'm me, you know, and that's it. I mean, this is all I got. Mm -hmm. And if they decide that's not good enough at some point, there's nothing I can do about that. Do you think a lot of people lose themselves going too far into the weeds on, oh, I don't like this. Maybe people don't like it. So I need to change this. I need to change that. I don't know. That's a great question. I, I don't, I don't know what throws off certain people. <clears throat> I know the key in all of it though, is becoming comfortable with understanding that this is what you got and that's it. And, and not being confident in that from the standpoint of saying, well, I'm the best or how I do it is better than other people, but just a basic understanding of saying, this is who I am and this is what I do. And hopefully it'll be good enough. And I'm going to constantly try to improve, but this is it. This is what the good Lord gave me and I'm going to make the most of it. And I'm going to accept that, that this is how I was made and this is how I sound and this is how I look. And that's all I can do. When you did the Oilers for, when you did the color analyst side for a year, where did you feel like you learned that you trans, <clears throat> that you has transferred as being the lead voice when you were working with uh, Joe McConnell and things like that? Like, were there any, things from the color side yeah that you used I learned to, uh, over to the right I, to the I, was a, I learned that I was a horrible color announcer <laughs> terrible and and I also learned what helps to properly cue a color commentator as to when to talk um, you know I had a hard time at different points of knowing when to talk mm-hmm and so I learned from that, okay, based on that experience, I can help my color commentator know when to talk by doing X or Y or Z. Uh, so it was helpful in that way. Otherwise, boy, I sure wouldn't want to do it again. <laughs> so what were the broadcast meetings like with you and Joe and now with your broad with your, with your angles that you have now and the sideline people and everybody. What are those? Be, what are those meetings like during the week and maybe day of game or 
Well, I mean, they're different with the different personalities. I mean, so Pat Ryan lived in Knoxville, so we didn't have any meetings. Mm -hmm. Um, We would talk on the phone a lot. And I would share a lot of information with him on the phone. Frank used to come to our production meetings on Friday and, you know, and and then toward the end, he didn't feel like he needed that anymore. And so I think that, you know, that was a change in style as we went through. Coach Matt comes to everything, goes to every practice, every production meeting, um, talks on the phone, wants to sit and discuss things before games. I love it. I mean, I, he, Coach Mack, more than anybody else I've ever worked with, has become a true broadcaster and a true student of how a broadcast works. So he wants the football and he wants the broadcasting all put together. It's all different with all different sorts of people. And it works in different – Pat didn't need that. Pat Because Pat was a former quarterback who watched tape. And, uh, I mean, he, he didn't need all of that. And, and Pat never – Pat builds houses for a living. So he was not a broadcaster. And in some ways that was nice because from a time standpoint, we didn't have to worry about that with him. <laughs> and so it's all, it's all different. And some things are better than others at different points. But, uh, you know, that's just the way it works. Last thing for you, because I know I've given taken up an hour of your time and I know you've got to get back to work. What were your things you're working with McConnell like? Because I know you said you had, you know, watched stuff during the week or practice. Like, what all pieces of information did you give him to help him do his job in your role? Well, I tell everybody everything. So I make a set of notes. I did it for McConnell. Um, I, I do it for the people I work with now. I did it for Frank. I did it for Pat. Uh, anything I know or I have, they have. And they have permission to use it as if it was their own. In my broadcasting realm, which is whether that be a uh, realm, realm is not the right word, world, let's say. Go with it. I mean, I, I get I get where you're coming from. Let's well, just but, go with it. <laughs> but whether we're doing a talk show or draft coverage or a, broad, or a game broadcast, whatever, I share everything. Mm -hmm. So I have to have people around me who are totally trustable that they're not going to tweet out something that I've told them about, Hey, we might run this play on the first play of the game. So be ready in case this happens. Right. And so I did that for McConnell, for Pat, for Frank, for Larry, for Cody, for, for, you know, Jonathan, for Amy, for, Coach Mack, whomever, if there's something that I know, they're going to have those notes and they're going to have that information. Because the more in sync that we are, Mm -hmm. the better. I don't have my stuff. Right. And I don't expect the people who work with me to have just their stuff. We have our stuff. We are Titans Radio. Not not me, not Coach Mack, not Larry. We are Titans Radio. A team. Well, the whole team aspect only matters is if everybody involved feels like you will not let them fail. Mm-hmm. And if you feel like, and, and then, then that way, they're also going to pull their weight to make sure the other people on that team do not fail. Maybe you've been sick during the week. Maybe you didn't have a chance to come to practice. So what? To the people on the radio on Sunday, the people listening are the most important people. And we want to give them the best performance possible so we all feel like we're Titans Radio. And one last thing I forgot to mention. I did hear when you were on PXPCast that John Ward never allowed you or the broadcast team to watch college football or any of the games on TV. Yeah. Or he didn't allow teams in the booth. He did not allow monitors. Yeah. Why? 
because his feeling was we were delivering for an audience that also couldn't see it. Mm-hmm. So we were we were to be their eyes and ears, and we were not to reference in that. Sounds like your dog's going nuts. So yes, I've go got an eight-month-old golden retriever. <laughs> we made it an hour and four minutes without her barking. And oh, now she was she's barking in the end. <laughs> yeah, so yes, she's telling us it's it's over and it's time to go outside. <laughs> hey, smart. This has been a blast, Mike. Hopefully, we hopefully we don't lose touch as long. And looking forward to hearing your thoughts and how I can improve, and hopefully, maybe we can. I can work on some things because I know I'm wanting to improve on my stuff anyway. Luther, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. No, thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.